Hello, I'm Ryan Tate, and welcome to History of the Pacific Northwest, Episode 9, Controversy at Nootka Sound, Part 2. First off, I apologize for the lateness of this episode. I'm currently enrolled in an online master's program where I'm studying North American history. However, I had a project due that coincided with my recording and release schedule for this podcast. When it came down to the two, I had to focus on finishing the course. On top of that, I had a little bit of technical difficulty with my computer. All is well now, and I should be back on schedule with my podcasting. I can't promise there won't be delays between episodes ever again, though. Between a full-time job, school, marriage, and a kid, life can get pretty busy. And podcasting is really just a hobby for me. A hobby I am enjoying quite a bit, but a hobby nonetheless. Stepping away for a week did help me think about the podcast a bit, though. Moving forward, there is a chance that you may see shorter episodes from time to time. My thoughts are that I do not want to elongate episodes for the sole purpose of trying to fill a certain amount of time. And in the two weeks I provide myself, I am not always as well researched on a subject as I would like to be. However, I would still like to give what I have learned, but do so in a quality way. My whole goal here is to tell interesting stories and teach people about history. Okay, that is all the housekeeping I have. Let us get on with the show. When last we met, we left off where Esteban Jose Martinez had arrested some suspicious characters at Nutka Sound and planned to take their ships. Since that last episode, I have been reading more on the Nutka Sound controversy, and I would like to fill in a couple gaps. On the last episode, I described John Muir's intent to establish a trading post at Nutka Sound in hopes of creating a colony for the British Empire. He brought several ships to complete this task and would hire about 50 carpenters from China to help construct the settlement. At his layover in China, Mears had all of his ships fly Portuguese flags. One ship, the Iphigenia, did in fact have a Portuguese captain to add credibility to the ruse. William Douglas, the man who later met with Martinez, was registered as the supercargo of the ship. The supercargo was an officer who was in charge of ensuring the cargo of a ship is secure, safe, and protected. William Douglas was in charge, though, and captain in all but name. Save the pretend Portuguese captain, the entire crew was made up of Englishmen. Martinez temporarily held the Iphigenia, but allowed it to leave on the condition they sailed directly back to the East India Company headquarters in China. Douglas and the Iphigenia left Nootka Sound, but sailed elsewhere in search of furs. Martinez then began to construct a fort at the entrance to Nootka Sound. The fort was complete with cannons and all. Then, Martinez performed the Spanish Act of Possession, formally claiming Nootka Sound for Spain. Martinez had been a major proponent for colonization of Nootka Sound. He, like many of the Spanish, was concerned with Spain's teetering position in North America. Martinez was also a man who could be easily aggravated. Fits of rage were common for him. He was also known to get incredibly drunk everywhere that wasn't on a ship. It had been said that he spent his entire time in Russian Alaska drinking and gambling with the Russian people there. With the fort built and Nootka possessed by Spain, Martinez felt good about what he was accomplishing. One day, he was sailing into Nootka Sound when he spotted a ship. 
As was custom at the time, Martinez fired his cannons in salute. Ships at sea would fire cannons as a sign of greeting and raise their colors to indicate who they sailed for. At first, the ship did not return the salute, which would have been considered an insult. Martinez sent a rowboat to the ship to ask what their problem was. The ship, which was called the Argonaut, quickly hoisted its colors and returned salute to Martinez. Martinez asked to come aboard to examine the ship's papers. The captain, Robert Colnett, produced a Portuguese passport with instructions but refused to hand them over to Martinez. Colnett claimed that he was under the orders of his king and could not show his instructions. According to the Journal of Martinez, during this interaction, Colnett rested his hand upon his sword hilt and said, Goddamn Spaniard. Martinez, having had enough at this remark, arrested Colnett and took possession of the Argonaut. It was about this time that Martinez seemed to regret pushing so hard to establish this colony at Nootka. It had given him nothing but trouble since he had began. Around this time, two American captains were in the area, Robert Gray and John Kendrick. The Americans at Nootka were able to escape attention from Martinez and the Spanish due to the fact that Spain had supported the United States during its war with Great Britain. In fact, a few days after Martinez's arrest of Colnett was the 4th of July. To celebrate, Martinez invited Gray and Kendrick to have drinks with him and toasted to the United States. Colnett was invited as well. After all, he was an officer, and it was only right to extend an invitation to him. However, Colnett served in the Royal Navy during the American Revolution, so the invitation may have been more of a jab than a courtesy. After the 4th of July, a fellow captain of Colnett, Thomas Hudson, returned to Nootka Sound. Hudson was also under the employment of John Mears. Martinez, likely in too deep at this point, arrested Hudson with little ceremony. Martinez was now in the possession of the Argonaut and a sloop called the Princess Royal. A native of Nootka Sound, a man named Calicum, rode out to Martinez's ship to speak with the captain. Calicum was the brother of Chief McQuinna, who you may remember was the chief that John Mears had given the two pistols to as payment for land. Calicum was a leader in his own right, and he expressed his dissatisfaction with Martinez. It is assumed that he was rejecting Spanish presence at Nootka Sound. Martinez, who felt insulted by the Nootkin chief, raised his pistol and fired a shot at him. The pistol shot missed, but a sailor who had witnessed the event grabbed a rifle and shot Calicum dead on the spot. Martinez claimed that he had intentionally missed Calicum. With his pistol, he had intended to frighten away the chief not to kill him. Personally, I do not buy that. Given what I know about Martinez, I think he fully intended to kill the man, but missed. He was prone to flying off the handle and acting rashly, and he may have missed because he was drunk. In any case, Martinez had arrested several foreign captains and killed the brother of one of the most prominent chiefs of Nootka Sound. His venture was quickly turning into a debacle. Then, Martinez received orders from the Viceroy, Manuel Antonio Flores, to return to San Blas for the winter. I can only imagine Flores clasping his hand to his forehead when Martinez returned with two detained foreign captains and their ships. Martinez claimed they were taken as lawful prizes, meaning that they were ships trespassing in Spanish waters for nefarious purposes. 
Viceroy Flores filed the paperwork and then sat on it until his successor could take office and deal with this fiasco. Meanwhile, John Mears fumed about his ships being taken. He appealed before his government at the British House of Commons. Mears left out the Portuguese flags that were flown on his ships and claimed that he had rightfully purchased the land from McQuinna when he gave him the two pistols. Mears claimed the Spanish had torn down his fort and it was a grave insult to the British Empire. He continued like this for quite some time, angrily going on and on about all the injustice of it all. King George III of England shared in Mears' aggravation. At this time, though, the king was aging and the concern over his mental health was growing rapidly. For Martinez's part, he claimed that there was nothing at Nootka Sound resembling a settlement of any kind. He was also unaware of any kind of claim over the region. It is entirely possible that Chief McQuinna had the British outpost torn down right after Mears left. This was common for the Native Americans of Nootka Sound. Whenever a foreign power attempted to build permanent settlement, they would often return and it would no longer be there. I believe this was intentional. The people of Nootka Sound loved the foreign trade goods, but did not want foreigners encroaching on their territory. The whole affair put England and Spain on the brink of war. The two powers were still tense from decades of colonial disputes and opposing wars. Spain propped itself up against the British in both the Seven Years' War as well as the American Revolution. However, a mere 10 days after Robert Colnett's arrest was the storming of the Bastille in France. For those who don't know, the storming of the Bastille was a major moment in the French Revolution. The storming of the Bastille forced King Louis XVI to sign a constitution that would take away his absolute power as king. Therefore, when King Carlos IV of Spain asked his cousin Louis if he would support a war against the British, King Louis said that he no longer had the power to make that kind of a promise. Without a promise of French support, Spain decided to acquiesce to British claims on Nootka Sound. In some ways, the Nootka Crisis was a downward slope for Spain. One can see Spain's grip on North America spiral downward from there. This trend would culminate in the loss of all of Spain's colonies in North and South America when they fought for independence beginning in 1808. British and American trade would continue in Nootka Sound until the fur trade dried up. The sea otter was almost hunted to extinction to fit trade needs. The trade was not immune to supply-demand economic models. As the sea otter became more rare, Native Americans demanded more trade goods to satisfy their efforts hunting. Simultaneously, sea otter fur was becoming too common in Chinese markets. Therefore, traders had to pay too much for furs at Nootka and could not sell them for enough in China. When the numbers no longer add up, traders don't want to partake in those ventures anymore. The maritime fur trade brought a great deal of attention to the Pacific Northwest by the United States. Exploration would continue during the fur trade, and sailors would see the strategic value of the Pacific Coast and the Pacific Northwest. Next time, we will look at one of our first American explorers to make a significant voyage to the Pacific Ocean. As always, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.